If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Well, I just showed you that the Bible directly condones child abuse. So if you disagree with this and you think that it can serve as good parental advice, please call us because the show is starting now. Yay, everybody. It is Talk Heathen. Today is Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. I am your host, J. Mike, and joining me today is the Cross Examiner. The Hello. Cross Examiner. Can I, what do you, what do you prefer to be, prefer to TCE or what, what do you, what do you want to go Cross, by? Cross Examiner. Cross. Hey, you. Hey, you. Sure. So Cross is joining us uh, today. And Cross, why don't you let anybody that's not familiar with you, what you do, maybe some channels that you you do podcasts, things like that. Sure, absolutely. So thank you for having me. I love uh, working with the ACA. I am the Cross Examiner. Uh, I have a podcast, thecrossexaminer.net. I focus on the intersection of religion and law. I have a, a law degree. I'm a licensed attorney in Maryland, and I was concerned about the rise of misinformation that was powering what we've seen recently in government and religion, what we're seeing in Texas, things like that. So I created that podcast to sort of both push back against it and help inform through corrections, civics lessons, uh, deep dives into particular issues. Sometimes they're not focused on religious stuff, but a lot of times they really are. So that's why I uh, decided to start the podcast. And since I was doing that, I thought, hey, uh, I'd love to volunteer and help out at the ACA if they could use me. And that's how I ended up here. Yeah, so that's really interesting because uh, like a lot like the background that a lot of people come from, it's like, well, I do, you know, do a podcast and we talk about arguments that theists present or we debate or we talk about, I don't know, naturalism, whatever, right? It's very like geared in the philosophy of religion type of landscape, but yours is a, is a lot different uh, in the sense that you have this cross section between like the legal system and uh, these kind of religious beliefs. So, like what, what's kind of a common theme for you in, in this? And then maybe we can work our way up into uh, <laughs> some stuff that people wouldn't expect maybe. Sure. So the common themes that you run into in this area are number one, elected officials trying to do things that are unconstitutional. That's the number one. So, um, if you're familiar with the Freedom From Religion Foundation, I interviewed um, uh, their representatives. Um, 
Jane Ryan, Ryan Jane, excuse me, um, on uh, two different episodes, a two two part interview where we talked basically nothing but that. Um, you also have uh, judges who are trying to uh, reinterpret the Constitution. So uh, mm-hmm. when the politicians do something, it eventually ends up in front of a judge. And now a judge is using some sort of interpretive philosophy that maybe is non-traditional or hasn't been used for a long time. And they're using it as a way to shoehorn an excuse into reinterpreting the First Amendment, either the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause. And then finally, of course, you have what we've seen in politics generally, not in actually laws where people are making arguments that are not based in fact. Uh, We've got uh, people on the floor of the Congress, uh, elected officials saying we don't even need to research climate change because God promised that he would never flood the earth again. And that's a scary proposition to to have from a from a congressman. (laughs) Yeah. um, So like in. What, because on the podcast, like presumably you you'll, maybe there's some stuff behind the curtain, so to speak, that maybe is not so public. Do you do you have any kind of anything you could share there where, um, it might surprise? I don't I'm not trying to like you know, <laughs> clip you know let's clip this. Here's a shocking right. thing, but but right. I am interested. I kind of kind of interested on the stuff that might be behind the scenes that people aren't seeing or that's shielded from them, and that that might this might be a platform such that we could. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that um, the conservative Christian nationalist movement is playing a flood the zone game where they are in every single state, in every single area. They are pushing, pushing, pushing to push religion back in because we are now with what I call the McConnell court. It's not the Roberts court. It's the McConnell court because he played a 25 year plan to get the court to look like it did today. He he sabotaged uh, Obama's nominee. I don't want to get political about it, but it's factual that he refused to even seat or hear the nominees with the excuse of, oh, there's only a year left of your presidency, which Mm -hmm. is made up. Um, So we're dealing with this McConnell court, so everybody's pushing. So you will now see so much happening that you can't keep track of it all as a private citizen. You're worried about getting your kids off to school. You're worried about paying taxes. You're worried about all this. Meanwhile, you've got organizations that are trying to force the Ten Commandments into every single classroom. They're trying to hire uh, pastors to work as teachers in public schools. You've got public schools that are trying to have prayer over the loudspeakers. Once again, we're back into the 1920s, 1930s. Um, so it's hard to name just one thing, really, yeah, because it's yeah. so, so much. If I had to name one thing that was kind of surprising when I when I heard it was um, you may have heard of um, the movement to ban books in libraries, right? Yes. Um, that uh, the mo- mo- Mothers for Freedom or Liberty or whatever they're called uh, started just a couple of years ago during the pandemic, and it's blossomed. So they have 44 chapters in something, something you know, maybe, no, 200 chapters across the states. And in Illinois, uh, one of their newsletters uh, had a quote from Hitler on the front page when it came out. And um, it's not it was something along the lines of he who controls the youth controls the future. And it was not like they said that and just left it there. It was he who controls the youth controls the future dash Adolf Hitler. Wow. So, (laughs) yeah. And they were the ones that had just forced the local public library to pull all of the teen books off and spend $300,000 to review every single book for whatever immorality they're wanting. Meanwhile, they're quoting Adolf Hitler on their newsletter. That's the type of stuff that doesn't get reported nationally because there is so much going on. And that's what I try to keep track of. 
That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. So if that, if uh, anybody is really interested on that side, uh, that's the side that really is directly impact, impacting a lot of people. I mean, it's fun to have the discussions on, you know, do you believe this thing and do you have good reasons? And that's a, it's a fun conversation to have, but this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Where those beliefs inform the actions. And so, uh, Cross, we really appreciate the work that you're doing there because um, that's really where the impact comes into play. That's what sets it up such that, you know, people can't um, they don't have this fear of leaving uh, because of how, like, I mean, you have it passionate on this side of legislation, passionate on this side of uh, just your home life. Do, am I protected if I come out in such a way, right? So we, we really, really appreciate uh, that work. And if anybody is wanting to talk about that specifically, um, or just the general conversations, you can call us at 512-991-9242. We need your calls. We love your calls. We want your calls. We desire your calls. Uh, but I want to go, before we get into a call, I want to say Talk Heathen is a product of the Atheist Community of Austin, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the promotion of atheism, critical thinking, secular humanism, and the separation of religion and government. Uh, it is a live call show, and we have open lines. I just gave you the number. I'll say it again, 512-991-9242, or you can do it from your computer at tiny.cc slash call th. And right before we get into the calls, I do want to um, mention one thing that we have from last week. If you missed the show last week, we asked, what is some biblical advice that could get you arrested? Uh, and so for number three, we have, I'm sorry if I pronounced this incorrectly, Sirile says biblical advice that'll get you arrested. Stone anyone who performs literal <laughs> insert literally any action. You know? <laughs> um, and this time I won't say biblical advice and then give the biblical advice. Uh, that's like that thing when you do, it's like introduce yourself. It's like you, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you read you. <laughs> like, I almost did that at the beginning. Um, so the second one is going to be from Mark uh, Luke, which is antagonize some bears so that they attack a bunch of kids who had the gall to call you baldy. Oh, yes, of course. Was that Second Kings 2nd, 23 through 24? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, he shouldn't have been standing there, you know? <laughs> no. He shouldn't have been there all bald. And, and right. Shit. What's up? In Come bear on. country. Get out of here, bald. Yeah, in bear country. Get out of here. Don't you see that there are two sheep, <laughs> she bears ready? <laughs> All right, uh, and then we got um, <laughs> we got number one, which is moral advice. Uh, from sorry, from uh, Min Dong. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Everybody's is challenging me today. Uh, moral advice from the Bible that will now uh, that will allow you to get you in trouble. Did I just do it again? Oh no, that's in the comments. Okay, we got this. Moral <laughs> advice from the Bible that will uh, now get you in trouble: killing your son because a voice in your head told you uh, told you is a virtue because it proves your faith to that voice. Yes, as a uh, I think we're all familiar with that story. And so uh, I kind of bring that up. I've been bringing that up a, a lot recently, actually. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real problem to this day. Um, I've done, I'm currently doing a, a multi-part series on faith healing in America. In Idaho, it is still legal to kill your kid um, because of your religious beliefs, and you will not be prosecuted and, and killed specifically through the denial of medical care, what you would normally be prosecuted for up to manslaughter, uh, not murder, not intentionally killing your kid, but if you get um, you get some sort of disease, a simple ear infection, and you don't give them uh, antibiotics because of your religious beliefs, and they end up having a brain infection that kills them, you cannot be prosecuted in Idaho because of your religious beliefs. 
and that is that, the law today. First off, that's terrifying. Secondly, I'm wondering how many like ad hoc kind of cases there are where someone's like, well, that was my religious beliefs <laughs> such that they protect themselves, right? I mean, that, yeah. I don't know, what's the standard such that proves that they've held the proposition to be true, right? I mean, seemingly right. you could just adopt them. Yeah, it's that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, uh, there will be an evidentiary investigation. There's a... a um, I believe it's called No Greater Law. I forget the name of the documentary. There's, if people are interested in it, I'm doing a series on it. The county is focused. It's basically a cult that was in Oregon until Oregon did away with their exceptions. The history of the exception is fascinating, talking about for surprising things. It dates back to the Nixon administration. There were several Christian scientists who were high up, like Alderman and all of those people, mm-hmm. that went down for Watergate. And um, when they were passing a Child Abuse Prevention Act nationally that um, passed, they snuck in this, hey, if you want to get federal funding, you need to provide an exemption for religious beliefs because they knew that if they didn't, Christian scientists would be no more because they would all get prosecuted for negligence and manslaughter. So that's how it happened. Most states have taken that away by now when they realized this is BS, but Oregon and a few others held on. And now every cultist that wants to follow this has moved to Idaho because they're one of the last states that allows this. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you haven't got enough information from uh, Cross here and you want more, you know where to go. Um, so we got, uh, we do have a call. Um, got Billy in Texas uh, says, pronouns are he, him says, am I wrong to believe in God? So I'm not um, really sure what you mean. Uh, if you're wrong as in like, there is no God, or you're wrong, morally wrong. There's a lot of ways we can catch that out. So uh, let me sure, Billy, I got you up. Uh, how are you doing, bud? Billy? Oh, it looks like, well, I'll return Billy to the queue. Yeah, I'll return B- uh, Billy to the queue. And maybe, maybe we can uh, get him back up here in a second. Apologies for everybody. I got everybody all excited and uh, <laughs> apparently not. But It sounds like an interesting question. It could go lots of different ways. Yeah, that's why I would like to un- to unpack that. Oh, you know what I didn't do while we have the time because this is actually perfect. What I didn't do was get the prompt for next week. So wow. while while we do, let's do the question of the week while we try to get Billy back on. So the prompt for this week, you know, I have an excuse, okay, Cross, because I do AXP even though it's the same format. I'm just going to use that as my excuse for messing <laughs> this up. Okay, that's it doesn't make any sense, but just roll with it. I am. Uh, the prompt for next week is going to be: What was Jesus really doing from age 12 to 30? And you can insert your best answers below in the comments, and we will do the same thing we just did, reveal the top three. And I'm going to ask Cross if you have anything ready. If you don't, sure, let me know. So, but yeah, what, what do you think? A lot of people think he was living his life wandering the desert, but what he was actually doing was dropping acid at Burning Man like for, for 18 years. And that's <laughs> yeah. how we actually got revelations and all of this other stuff. I am God and everybody love each other. It kind of fits in. That's what he was doing. Those, he's clutching those crystals, man. Right, you know? right. Um, I I didn't really like think of one myself in the in the time that that I could have. I could have thought of a better one, but it actually just popped in my head. I had one, but it wasn't. I don't think it was a great one. So the one that I'm going to go with is I think it's in the Gospel of Thomas, non non canonical text, where you get or like the infancy Gospel of Thomas. I can't remember, but you get these stories of Jesus's youth, and there's like one story where he like purifies the waters uh, as a young boy, and and um some kid, I guess, comes up with like a stick or whatever and, and muddies up the water. 
and Jesus just kills the kid on the oh spot. It's, yeah, it's insane. It's uh, so I I side with that. That's 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 my preferred Jesus story. I mean, everyone else can can say a book says a thing. I can too. So um, so yeah, everybody. Go why... that. It's it's interesting. It, he does it with another one, like someone that was like a bunch of like uh, doves or something. He turned like I can't I can't remember. I have to go back and look. I'll, someone in the comments knows what I'm saying. And the audience I, knows, but I can see why the uh, council that decided what the Bible was decided like uh, we'll leave that one out. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, among others. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We're going to go to um, Isaiah in West Virginia. Uh, there's no pronouns given. Uh, he says that eyewitness or they say that eyewitness testimony is reliable in certain circumstances. So Isaiah, what do you want to talk about? Oh, uh, yes. How are you today? Good. Good. Uh, so I, I do believe that eyewitness testimony is uh, trustworthy depending on whose eyewitness testimony it is and how well you know that person or uh, their reputation. Okay. Are you a Christian? So, I am. So presumably you take Paul, like, well, I guess Paul wouldn't be an eyewitness, but do you, do you take uh, Paul's testimony or someone else's is trustworthy in that, yeah, in that landscape? I would see Paul as a, uh, as a trustworthy character. Okay. Um, if my if you're like who's somebody that you know that you really trust like your wife you're like you don't have to give them your name but do you have somebody that you really trust like directly to you right now yeah like my mom cousins brothers stuff like Great. that if your mom came up to you and said they saw the risen elvis or like the risen tupac or something like that um right and it changed their life and they think that it like unlocked some secret to the universe they understand like the fundamental nature of reality um would you believe your mom just because she's really trustworthy? I wouldn't necessarily believe her uh, just from her claim, but I would definitely uh, consider it without just rejecting her because of 
uh, my trust for her. I would, I would know that if she did come to me and say something like that, she must have seen something or uh, maybe it really did happen, but uh, I would have to but look you, into you're it. You're skeptical, I, right? Yeah, you'd have to look into it. That's a, so that's, it's a good answer. You have to look into it. Um, but you don't know Paul, right? You're 2,000 years removed from Paul. What makes Paul so special, especially somebody who didn't know Jesus? Well, even uh, people you don't know, like um, let's say you're reading an autobiography uh, of just uh, anybody, I, nobody specific, but uh, as you're reading this person's autobiography, you come to realize like from their life experiences that they share and kind of how they handled certain situations. I'm not saying that everybody, you know, is capable. How do you, how do you, well, how do you know? How do you know that? Because seven of the 13 Pauline epistles are forgeries, right? So how do you, how, how, how are in virtue of what are you basing this trust off of? Like you've never met Paul, right? I guess just a uh, comparison. Well, to, I, that, was, that was a question. That was a question. Have you met Paul? Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah. So how do you know Paul said any of those things? Like, there's one question about whether or not you can trust Paul, which is a whole other thing. Like, how do you even know? Like, if, I mean, like, are you aware that seven of the Paul, 13 Pauline epistles are forgeries? Not written by Paul? I've, that's of Paul's epistles? I yeah. knew Hebrews was questionable. Some people believe it's Paul's, but uh, no, I've never heard anything about seven of them being forgeries. Well, I'm going to pass it to Cross here in a second because I don't want to take a lot of time. I want to come back to this, but I want to kind of give you where my head's at. Like, you don't know Paul. You're 2,000 years removed from Paul. It's unsure whether or not Paul wrote what is stated in the epistles, right? Like, there's, in fact, I read a lot of scholarship. I, I'm very confident that it's either six or seven of those are not written by Paul. They're written in Paul's name. Uh, and even Christian scholars, a lot of Christian scholars agree with this. Um, given that, and you, in the case where you were going to investigate with your mom uh, in the whole Tupac being risen kind of thing, I think that that's a proper investigation, right? Like, okay, she said this thing. Let me look into that, right? Let me make sure that this is true before I accept it. But with Paul, you just have something telling you something that's true, right? You didn't see the resurrection. You're just reading words on a page. So I'm not like seeing why you trust that when you're there's so much divorced from that experience than your mom directly telling you about this experience. But anyway, I'm going to get your thoughts on that and then cross if you want to come in. I don't want to hog it. Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I would, well, I would say it's not just dependent on uh, solely Paul, but there's other people from his time that are spoken of in the Bible that uh, had had met him and vouched for him. And uh, those are people that, you know, at least the way their characters are described and the way I can understand them, uh, they seem trustworthy also. I guess there's no way to know for sure ever. It's just uh, uh, that's why it's trustworthy, I guess. You have to trust them in some way, but... Um, I don't know that we've established the trustworthiness is what I'm getting to, but Cross, what, what, are you, what are you thinking about this so far? Well, I think this is a common, um, I will classify it as a slight misunderstanding. Um, and Isaiah, forgive me, I want to make sure I understand what your call-in point was. I think your initial point was that you believe that eyewitnesses can be or are usually trustworthy. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, that they can be. 
Okay. I think they can be in certain circumstances, but as somebody uh, who is in the legal profession where you deal with nothing but eyewitnesses all day long, um, I can tell you that eyewitnesses tend to be the least trustworthy form of evidence that we have. Um, there's many reports and documents and studies that have been done to, to demonstrate how trust untrustworthy and how unreliable eyewitness testimony is. I'll give one example. There was a documentary that was done, I think, about 10 years ago by Nightline or Dateline or somebody, one of the lines, one of those news programs where they they had a, a hidden cameras in a professor's class. There's about 100 students 50 feet away from her watching her lecture. They had an actor play a robber who came in, guy wearing a uh, black pullover, pulled his hat, hat off, looked around at the class for about five, 10 seconds, then grabbed her purse and ran out the door. And some students tried to give chase and they stopped them and said, no, no, don't worry. Security will take care of it. Uh, the If you graphed their description of height, weight, eye color, hair color, race, all of these attributes on a graph, it was a cloud of dots. Nobody agreed on anything. They all agreed on one point, that he had a weird looking nose. So they started interviewing all of these people and they brought out the actor and the actor had a totally normal nose and nobody knew why they thought they had an, a weird nose. They replayed a video of what happened and the professor who was in on this, once the class settled down as an aside said, wow, he had a weird looking nose. But anyway, let's keep talking about what we were talking about. And every student almost to a man would have testified under oath that he had a weird nose. One person was so adamant that it was right that they had to bring the actor out and the guy was still pointing at the nose and saying, see, it's a little curved here. So I think that speaks to how wrong we can be when we're eyewitnesses and how adamant we can be when we really believe something. But I would encourage you to sort of question that underlying premise that eyewitness testimony is re regularly reliable. If it can be reliable, but you can only be reliable once you have other factors established, then we don't need the eyewitness testimony. We just go to the other factors, like what is the actual documentation? What is the actual um, evidence from DNA or anything like that? And my final point is we don't have any eyewitness testimony in the Bible as far as I'm aware of. We have no eyewitnesses. The Bible itself is hearsay from a legal perspective. Yeah. I could not admit the Bible into evidence at trial if I was trying to prove, if I was admitting it for the purposes of proving what the Bible says, the defense attorney or whoever opposing counsel would object and say that's hearsay. Maybe hearsay, yeah. Yeah, and I would try to sneak it in under a rule called ancient documents exceptions, which is designed for objections to this hearsay rule, and I might or might not succeed. Um, so I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that of questioning the premise you came in with, which is eyewitness testimony is reliable well the um uh, as far as other histor uh historical uh events or time frames that we we try to find evidence for it's uh based on a lot of eyewitness testimony and records of uh, you know letters and similar things that not, we not the bible we see uh, the Bible's. Uh, Do you think that Mark wrote Bible, Mark? No, I don't. Uh, the authors yeah. are technically anonymous, and Mark and Matt yeah, they're anonymous. They the, and the disciples spoke Aramaic, and the and the writers of the Bible uh, were highly educated in Greek, right? 
And so there would be some type of high, like aristocrat in that area. That's how, like, you learn that from like an early age when you're being able to, if you could write such a literary text. Um, but let's but let's let's confused. ask him again. Like, I don't think he answered my question, which is, what do you think now about eyewitness testimony after hearing just that one example of mm-hmm. 100 students 50 feet away that got a good look at this guy for 10, 15 seconds, couldn't couldn't identify the guy, uh, and this is within a 30 minutes to an hour after the event, whereas the Bible we're talking about, the earliest books are written a generation after the events that they're talking about. So what do you think about the reliability? You know, is there any, I guess the question is, is eyewitness testimony a relevant topic when we're discussing Christianity at all? I believe so. And I understand the, uh, the factor of influence. So like, uh, it's easy for, a large crowd of people to be influenced, especially by somebody that they respect, even if it's not necessarily a uh, true statement that they're uh, coming to believe or uh, internalize or whatever the the proper phrasing is for it. But um, I think as far as the Bible goes, there's, it's important to consider that this is Jewish people and a time where religion was extremely important. So they would have been very cautious of their moral stance whenever giving a testimony like this. So they, that's, but that's, that's, I don't, I don't see why you have any reason to think that. I mean, one thing like, I mean, there'd be no purpose of a trial by jury. If eyewitness testimony was just like reliable, right? Just like cross is saying, like we would have no re we would just go ask what happened. He did it. Okay, great. Book him, right? That's what we would do. There'd be no need for a trial by jury. And so it's not one, There's this is flawed, even if you think that eyewitness alone is going to be good. And Cross did a really good job at explaining that. Um, two, just for any other kind of, any of these other reasons. Like, like I mean, I'm going to be out doing grand jury. And so, like, if it was just as simple as they did it, right, all I, they wouldn't, I wouldn't be needed, right? There wouldn't be any point of, like, evaluating the evidence and and, and looking at it, right? So, I guess I'm, I'm a little concerned that you're, you're really hung up on the eyewitness testimony stuff. But what what I like? Let's just start there. What eyewitness testimony do you have? Uh, uh, first, I'd just like to say, in their time, they relied heavily on eyewitness testimony for trial and for. Uh, disputes. I'm not saying we don't rely on it. I'm saying we can't solely rely on it. If, if we just use eyewitness testimony, there wouldn't be a need for trial by jury. There wouldn't be a need to looking looking at more evidence. We would just be like, okay, they did it. Okay, no, great. I, thank you. I wouldn't base my, my faith solely on I, uh, just what I believe are eyewitness testimonies, but uh, uh, I would base it on other things also, like uh, just personal testimony, revelation, uh, stuff that I felt was from God, but you know, other people might hear it and think it was emotional. You believe in, you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, I believe there's a, a lot of eye testimony, eyewitness testimony there, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But so it just there's seems like you're of- arbitrarily picking like things. I, I, I don't see like, how you're getting from even because you haven't cited what the eyewitness testimony is. And then you've agreed with me that the text is anonymous and Paul didn't know Jesus. What's the eyewitness? I don't get it. So Paul, his testimony, his epistles, they were uh, 
to the churches of the time, and they were about things that he personally had witnessed, but also about um, ways Did to... Did Paul watch Jesus it. resurrect from the dead? No, but he, he claimed that, that he experienced he... Uh, an encounter with Jesus, basically. Okay. And I... I believe that people you, tr you trust that you trust that he had an experience. So he goes around persecuting uh, Christians, um, but maybe potentially has some kind of like post-traumatic type of vision of Jesus feeling really guilty. And you, you want to say that because there's a story about such an event uh, or him writing about it, that that lends credit that the content of what he saw was true. Cause I don't get that. Right. Like you're, you're just looking at this statement from Paul and going, Okay, yeah, that must have been true. He must have saw what he actually saw. There's no investigative work there. You've just accepted his testimony on it. And he's not he's not even there, right? He he's he's after the fact. I'm not seeing like in how you're confident in the quote unquote eyewitness when it seems like you're conceding that there isn't an eyewitness. I mean, can you name me one eyewitness to Jesus's resurrection? Uh, I can't name an eyewitness, but I would say that the anonymous... Why do we trust it? Four uh, Gospels were witnesses. Wait, you think that the Gospel writers were witnesses? Yes, I believe that the Gospel writers... It's not. Luke 1.1, Luke the prologue in Luke, literally says, Your Excellent Theophilus, many of us have taken to put an orderly account... Uh, I am here to give you an orderly account. He's casting aspersions on earlier accounts like Mark, right? He's telling him d directly that have been passed down to us. He's Luke is clearly not an eyewitness. Mark is, I mean, the disciples spoke Aramaic. They're said in Acts, John and Peter are said in Acts to be unlettered, that they can't read or write. So John clearly couldn't have written uh, John, right? Because he didn't, he was Aramaic, uh, unlettered Aramaic spe uh, speaking Jew that um, didn't under that didn't know Greek, which is what the Bible's written in. So what, what I witnessed. Well, the, the Jews for about 200 years had been kind of intermingled with the Greek language at that point. So that a lot of them did speak Greek and uh, there's never a, uh, no, they didn't recall anything that they didn't know how to read or write, but that 90 people, people in antiquity at that time couldn't read or write, let alone write like they're like, they might be able to write their name, but they couldn't write a literary text such as the Bible. I've got a different question for right. Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, um, the vast as correct me if I'm wrong, J Mike might know this, but correct me if I'm wrong. The vast majority of Christian scholars who study the Bible agree with J Mike that None of the Gospels were written by who they are named after. They are all anonymous, and none of them were eyewitnesses. The earliest that was written, I think, was Mark around 70 AD. So 40 years after the death of Jesus is when this is first put to quote-unquote paper, as to, as to speak. So would that influence you if I told you that the vast majority of Christian scholars agree the Gospels are not eyewitness accounts? Does that hold any weight with you? I, that's just just a question. Does that hold any weight with you? Does that convince you that maybe they don't they are not eyewitnesses because everybody on on that side of the aisle, so to speak, agrees that these are not eyewitness testimonies, but you seem to be saying that they are or that they could be when the experts who have studied this devoted their lives to studying these documents would disagree with you. 
Luke is most likely, uh, the author of Luke most likely um, is believed to have pretty much went around and collected eyewitness testimonies to formulate his gospel. Okay, so it sounds like we're changing from saying that they are an eyewitnesses to they spoke to eyewitnesses. <laughs> so they are not eyewitnesses themselves. I could not put Luke on the stand if I were an attorney and say, what did you see? He'd say, well, I talked to so-and-so, and they said that so-and-so saw something immediately. Hearsay, there's a reason we, through thousands of years, decided that hearsay is unreliable so that we can't admit it. So the Gospels are not eyewitness testimony, but maybe what you're saying now is that they spoke to eyewitnesses or friends of eyewitnesses or something like that, correct? Yes, for Luke's uh, circumstance, yes. But uh, like the Gospel of Mark, Mark was a scribe, I believe, is what he, most people, uh, most of the scholars agree that uh, the writer of Mark was a scribe named Mark. And no, they don't. he was believed to be under Peter. Peter gave like ramblings at ran like so uh, no because they don't mark is just a tradition that's given in like what the second century I don't, I don't know it's uh yeah I think it's like the second century is when you get the second or third century is when you get that tradition um read mark does does it ever a point where mark is says then Jesus said to me then I said to Jesus then me and Jesus went fishing down the by the lake never it's in third person. It's so it's like clear as day. Now yeah. it was an argument that there's literature that's written in third person. It may be right, but if you're talking about this, this being an eyewitness uh, to one of the most important things in history, um, it's not going to be written in such a literary text. You're going to be saying, "Look, G then Jesus said to us. Then I spoke to Jesus and, and asked him." Right? Mark refers to him, or like there's people that are referred to in the book by their name and not by saying me or I, right? I mean, they're not even pretending to be eyewitnesses. Well, you're correct in that it is. Uh, so excluding John, uh, the other three gospels are written in third person kind of format, I guess. Uh, but it it's most likely to exclude ownership over the gospel itself they don't want to make it about themselves and when they do mention certain disciples by name it's usually for a lesson or a specific reason because that uh will be important later uh because like judas uh, he was the one that betrayed jesus so they kind of they're it seems like the the authors are careful about how they incorporate their own uh, person into the stories. I don't know how, how that's true. If you're wanting to say they're putting Mark on the big on the front cover, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how, you know, how how does that stand when they want to take themselves out of it? But then it's like the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew. That just doesn't fall. Like you have to pick one lane or the other. Uh, I, and what I'm what I'm trying to tell you is that the, the authors aren't even pretending to be eyewitnesses, right? Like Luke is very clear on that. I'm glad we got that out. But you go read Acts, right? Read read Acts. It tells you that Paul is unlettered. The Greek word that is used means that they can't read or write. I looked it up the other day, right? I talked to a to a scholar, Captain Dadpool, who's who's been on, or he's a historian, I guess. I don't want to butcher his title. I talked to him specifically about this. Who's been been on the show? Uh, this, if I can use your own text to show that someone's unlettered, it's really strange when that person kind of comes back to me or or wants to deny that. Because now we've ruled out John, 
he can't he couldn't have read or write let alone like even if we could say he could write like a sentence like hey what's up uh you know i believe that jesus said this thing to me in a very basic sentence or something okay that's great but writing a literary text like the gospels with like these themes and and, and when you read mark and you you have this whole theme that nobody understands Jesus the entire time until the Roman centurion who crucifies him and then says that this is the God, right? As soon as, as soon as, or God, this is the Messiah. As soon as the curtain uh, rips, right? Nobody would, nobody who couldn't read or write would write such a literary text like that. They wouldn't be able to. Correct. So it just, well, not, uh, it's also important to consider that um, the, the Christian community of the time was very diverse and, uh, I guess you're the peoples that it would bring in and their skill sets. So there, some were fishermen like uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John. And uh, Matthew was, or Levi was a tax collector. And you have Paul who was a Pharisee. So he would have, you know, been reading the scriptures and uh, that would have been most of his work and studying for his early life and uh it was very feeling to matthew is not going to help 93 percent of mark is in matthew matthew just copied mark and made changes right there's 93 percent of mark is in matthew and then there's things that are changed like king to tetrarch right there's there's a, a a birth story right there's all sorts of things in there that are added that felt important to, to matthew it's more indicative that they weren't satisfied with the account of mark which is why i'm saying in the prologue of luke i think that's what what the author of Luke is doing, he's casting aspersions on Mark. It's not a satisfactory account, right? Hence why you get this virgin birth story and all that, and you get more additions. Um, but I'd, I mean, look, I, I'd urge you to, we're going to try to get to some other callers, but I'd urge you to look at the, at what scholars actually have to say about this um, in terms of the eyewitnesses. And when you have like um, Matthew as some tax collector and you want to cite that as well, he might be able to write or read Greek a little bit. Well, even if I granted that because of his profession, he could know a little bit of Greek. There's a giant difference between knowing a little bit of Greek and being able to write some sentence down versus writing a, a literary text. And then there's just a, a massive distinction in uh, or distinction. There's a massive uh, underpinning here that when your own text expresses that people are unlettered, that it's going to be really weird to go to John where Jesus is Superman and be like, all of a sudden, uh, he just like, he just got to studying and learned how to write a literary text such as John, right? I just, that's so unfathomable to me, but um, I don't know. I'm gonna let you get the last word and then we're gonna let you, let you go on uh, on this. Well, I appreciate your guys' time and, uh, uh, you know, I hope I could help you guys get a good conversation in today, but. You've been I a nice guy. I apologize if I got a little heated. I just, yeah. <laughs> It's no, I, I I totally agree. I was going to make sure that, uh, Isaiah, you heard that I really appreciate your call. I think that um, what I hear listening to it is is somebody who is, if you'll forgive this, I don't mean this to be an attack in any way. It, it's, it's a place that a lot of people are, where um, we started the call with eyewitnesses testimony can be uh, reliable. We then came to an agreement that these people are not eyewitnesses, uh, so it's kind of irrelevant to the discussion. But even then, you started sort of looking for ways to say, well, they could have talked to people and they were kind of educated in some cases. Um, 
that seems to be sort of thrashing around a little bit, looking for an excuse to hold on to that core belief. But you could just accept it. And I think you maybe are moving in that direction to say, okay, we don't have eyewitness testimony. Where does that leave me? And then you can have another discussion. And um, I would encourage you to consider thinking about that because we all have mistakes. We all have misunderstandings. Once you are corrected on it, and I subcontract my understanding out to J. Mike and the the academics who tell me, no, we, we, uh, these are not eyewitnesses testimonies and we don't know who wrote these. Once we've accepted that, we can then have a different conversation. So I would encourage you to con consider uh, calling back once you've thought about it. Okay. I yeah, I really appreciate I will do that. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation. Isaiah, I think you were very uh, respectful caller. So we, we do appreciate that. Um, apologies to you. If I got heated, it was nothing directed towards, <laughs> towards you, but, um, I would like for you to call back and see see what what you think next time. Maybe maybe we just get in the exact same spot that we did, but uh, maybe not. Maybe we make progress. All right, uh, Ryan, I see you in the call in the uh, in the queue. Don't hang up. We are going to come to you. I really like what I'm seeing there on the notes. So, and I think this will be really good for for Cross to to dive in here. Uh, but before we do that, so hold on, Ryan. We're going to get to you. Um, before we do that, I want to talk about how we can support the ACA. If you really like Talk Heathen and the ACA or AXP or any of these shows and you want to help keeping this thing going, well, we have a, we have a really new, exciting way that apparently is going to play a video now. Have you ever wanted to make a permanent impact on the atheist community of Austin? Help support our space for free thought by buying a custom engraved brick to be laid on the building grounds to help raise funds for improvements. Our building has stood as a beacon for years, bringing people together. But three years of emptiness due to the pandemic have taken a toll, leaving it in disrepair. Help us restore this hub of connection and support by buying a brick. Moses had his stone tablets, but we're doing our own version. Join our brick fundraiser and let your engraved messages stand the test of time minus commandments visit tiny.cc forward slash ACA bricks for more information. All right. Hopefully I'm all like leaned in now. Sorry guys. Um, my, my eyesight is horrible. I don't have uh, I don't have good eyes. So anyway, so we also have a new limited edition t-shirt Satan, the lesser of two evils. You can visit tiny.cc slash merch ACA to get them now. There they are up on the screen. That is a, uh, is a good gift to get your heathen friends. Um, you can also like this video and subscribe, um, enable notifications. You can comment below. That really helps uh, us in the algorithm. I think everybody's familiar. You watch enough YouTube channels now where you understand the, the kind of push to that and how that all works. Uh, we do we do appreciate it. Every like, all of that helps get this out to more people sitting on the fence, more Christians, more Muslims, uh, right? So please uh, help us out there. You can also become a channel member by clicking the join button below and you get these custom chat emojis uh, or emotes, is it emotes, emojis, whatever. You can flex on all of your friends down there in the chat. Um, it also just helps perpetuate the mission of Talk Heathen and the atheist community of Austin. And also you can send a super chat, which um, we will get into. We'll, we'll read a few of these super chats right now. Um, you can send a super chat with a question or a comment. Maybe you just want to comment on the show. Maybe you think we're saying something incorrect, or maybe you want to, I don't know, tell us that we did a good, good job or something. You can do that by sending a super chat. And I'm going to scroll up to get this super chat from Ben9 for $4.99. Uh, like lying 
may in some cases work to help. Um, I should probably read these in context when, so we know exactly <laughs> where they're doing. So I apologize to uh, to Ben. Um, I'll try to read them in as, as, I, as they come in. Uh, that way they make more sense in context. Um, and then you can also support us at on Patreon at tiny.cc slash Patreon TH. That is tiny.cc slash Patreon TH. And you can also help support us by just going to tiny.cc and AEN podcast. You can listen to the audio format. Too much hair for you. I know that joke is getting so <laughs> tired, but I'm going to do it anyway. So too much hair for you. Maybe it's me and secular rarity and you're like, yeah, get it out. It's in my food. It's everywhere. Gross. <laughs> well, then there you go. You go to AEN podcast. Uh, tiny.cc slash AEN podcast. You can also become part of Talking the Community in our fan-run Facebook page at tiny.cc slash FBTHG. Shout out to that group and Richard. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I see you, Richard. Also, in case you didn't know, Talk Heathen as a TikTok, and we will be going live, speaking of Richard, uh, before the show on Sunday. So Richard just did this before the show. He went live and uh, hyped it up. Hopefully get more callers that way. You can get in the mode, get your coffee ready, whatever. I want coffee at 2 in the afternoon for me, 2 in the afternoon. Maybe you're a little back. But go and subscribe on the TikTok and help us out. Uh, I'm often on the TikToks as well debating, so maybe you'll bump into me there as well. Um, and then. Yeah, let's actually just go to calls. And I want to point out too, I am not conceited. This is what happens when you at when the <laughs> producers ask, "What do you want for your background?" And you're like, "I oh, I don't know." Uh, it's dealer's choice. So then you you get you get this behind you, an Andy Warhol picture of of uh, J Mike. So I am actually quite jealous. I think it's awesome. You started it. I mean, you you said you wanted a thousand J Mike's behind me, and I think the fans thing, demand so. it. Really? Yeah. Well, makes you think it's too much hair now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you think it's too much. Now you really need to go to AEN podcast. Uh, and real quick, uh, Twinkle Toes just sent us a super chat. Thank you so much. It looks like 10 euros. Uh, Sheba Dog squeezing a big red heart. That's probably sticker. the description of what sticker they attached. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
I was like, what what is the what is what is the Shiva dog squeezing of it? I don't know what this you is. You haven't heard some, some philosophy I have not gotten into yet. So I'll uh, try to break that down in the future. Um, let's go ahead. We're gonna go to uh, I said Ryan. Uh, we got another call. We're gonna go to Ryan because I promised Ryan we're gonna go to Ryan. And then uh, we'll come come back to Dave. I see you, Dave. Hopefully you can stay on for a while. Um, Brian, how you doing? Uh, I think this will be a good conversation between you and Cross. So, what did you want to talk about? Hi, gentlemen. Yeah, I heard Cross mention earlier uh, Moms for Liberty and and book bans and things like that. And I live in a small town in Nebraska. We had a school board member. Um, who's associated with Moms for Liberty, um, get elected to our local school board and immediately tried to start removing books from the school libraries that have LGBTQ themes that present minorities in a positive light and Christianity perhaps in a negative light. And I just wanted to talk to Cross about some of the tactics that I've found uh, that these folks use. Sure. And can I, can I just say real quick, thank you, Ryan, for calling in. Cause cross is a perfect day for that. So I always love when that like matches up and somebody calls in and they're like, Oh, this is perfect for this time. So thank you so much for, for calling yeah, in on this. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I wasn't sure there, if you had tactics that you specifically wanted to mention first, did you have any specifically you'd like to discuss? Yep. Specifically the first one, that I've noticed is what they do is they, they pick out, um, you know, like dirty words that are in these books that have LGBTQ themes, et cetera. And then they start calling it pornography and obscene when it's really just maybe one passage. Um, yeah, and they're, they uh, the, the comment I have on that one is that turnabout is fair play. So um, there's multiple layers involved here. The that a very high level, the executive has been charged. The executive, the governor, or the the county councilman, whoever's in charge of of this jurisdiction, has been charged with creating an agency that's the library and holding books, or this public school who has books. And so that agency is using administrative law to make these decisions. Now, um, they still have to follow the Constitution, which means you have a First Amendment right uh, not to be discriminated against based on the content of your speech. So. If you have published a book and the school is refusing to shelve it because of the content, now you're going to move into a whole bunch of discussions. And the courts have held that uh, age matters. You're not going to have a pornographic magazine on the shelf of a library where young kids can get at it. But beyond that, um, things tend should be and have in the past tended to be. If it's uh, got any academic value, then the state can make a uh, argument that it is in our interest to educate our citizenry and uh, they don't have to go into what's called strict scrutiny to try to find out why they're putting this book on the shelf or removing it. What you have pointed out is exactly what uh, the um, Christians have been good at for many years, which is alarmist pearl clutching uh, category error, so to speak. This book contains a word, therefore it is in and of itself pornography. The reason I said turnabout is fair play, as you may have heard recently, I believe it was in Utah that uh, a local group of um, 
protesters protesting against this trend got the Bible banned from school and saying, okay, if you're going to have a policy that says you can't have books that depict certain things or have certain words, the Bible depicts those things much more than these books you're pulling off. Therefore, you can't have it. And that is a pattern that you get over and over and over again, where people try to get the government to enforce their own morality by increasing the size of the bubble they're drawing, right? Okay, any book that has this word is now pornography. Oh, I just captured the Bible. The Bible's out of school too. So the policy may be okay. Like they may legally be able to say, yeah, we're not going to, we're going to have to shelve any book that has this word in it, but then um, the Bible is going to, going to fall into that. Um, the details matter. So case by case, you're going to have to look and see what the actual argument is, and they're all going to have to go through trial. Uh, somebody's going to have to sue to say, hey, you are uh, violating the First Amendment here, and that's their game. They play flood the zone. Let's do this in every single library, every single school, and it's going to be exhausting defending it. But we have to have people like the Freedom From Religion Foundation and other organizations, the ACLU, who will go out there and fight the good fight and push back against it. I'm not sure if that answers your question on that tactic, but what are your thoughts there? Absolutely. And I, I completely agree that, um, and we've pointed it out to some of these, uh, to some of these folks that, and I feel that I tend to know the Bible better than they do in some cases, but, you know, we point out that the Bible has passages about fondling breasts and having genitals the size of donkeys and emissions like horses and my issue, my issue with that, and I mean this with all due respect, is I, I don't want books banned. I don't want the Bible banned from schools because it's, I mean, it's important reference material um, for academic study. Uh, and so maybe that's not the tactic that I would prefer to take is well, you ban ours, we'll ban yours. Um, is there any other perhaps tactic that would be more uh, successful in less of a two wrongs make a right type? Sure. Yeah, the two wrongs make a right is sort of a ironic result that you end up with. There was a similar case where uh, yeah. uh, uh, Christians wanted to advertise uh, religion on the buses. I believe this was down in Texas. So they said, okay, we had a policy that said no religious advertising in any type. So they allowed it. And the atheists jumped right in and had buses going around saying there is no God. And the Christians very quickly said, oops. And then they rolled back the policy. So it, it's fun to watch that. But I get what you're saying is like, do we have to play that game? And the answer is no. There's obviously the political solution of who's your representative and all of that sort of stuff. But from a legal perspective, you can you can hold these people accountable if they're doing things improperly or unconstitutionally. But as I said before, the lawsuits are exhausting. You know, you first have to exhaust it mm -hmm. under administrative law in most states and jurisdictions. You're going to have to exhaust the administrative process first. They're going to have a, a whole bunch of policies and procedures as to how they enacted the policy. And you can attack that saying, hey, you didn't follow the rules. It wasn't proper notice. You didn't uh, get comments, all of that sort of stuff. And then you have to appeal through their own in internal administrative courts if they have them. And only once you've exhausted all of that will a court agree to start hearing your case. So it's even more than just I have to sue you. It's I have to go through the channels first 
then once I get an opinion or decision from the agency involved, the schools or the library or whatever, that I think is still violative of the Constitution, then I can go to court and uh, start the process of suing there. And meanwhile, they're doing it in every school and it's been one election cycle and they've achieved their goal of saying, hey, I, I'm banning books and that's that's why they're doing it. Uh, they don't care if they end up losing in the long run, quite frankly. They all the time, especially at mm -hmm. the state level, representatives will do things they know are blatantly unconstitutional and violates the oath that they swore to uphold in exchange for support from their base. Uh, so the ways that you do it are you go after using lawsuits, you inform, you protest, you publicize, you get reporters uh, going out about it because the law isn't always just a trial. The law is who has the motivation and the resources to go to trial. Uh, you exhaust your administrative res uh, abilities. And then, yes, if they are going to end up winning because they have the power constitutionally to draw a line somewhere, you hold them to that new line, i.e., we're going to ban the Bible. That's awesome. I I wish I could tell you how much I appreciate this, and I'm so glad that it's going to be on YouTube for posterity so I can go back and uh, and listen again. Um I've been involved in a petition to recall this member and I've been called I've been I've been called a child molester I've been called uh, a groomer and all sorts of heinous shit um that's another tactic that I was going to bring up that they use is they make that straw man fallacy of well, if you're trying to recall this member, that just means that you want porn in schools. And it, it just, it's so despicably disgusting, the tactic. Absolutely. And then we'll use that tactic even when it doesn't involve books. You may recall a, a young lady named Jessica Alquist years ago attended oh, a public yeah. school where the Ten Commandments were had been on the wall of the gymnasium for as long as people remembered. And she said, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Please stop. Um, they end up going to court and a state representative, I think this was in Jersey, called her an evil little thing, made a personal attack on a high school girl because she said, hey, you should follow the law. And that is the mentality we end up with a lot in this in this scenario. And when you combine that with the misinformation that is now flying around the Internet, you get a lot of people misunderstanding the law, misunderstanding the legal process and just following their leaders. Oh, this guy says that this young teen girl who's asking the state to follow the law is an evil little thing. She must be an evil little thing. She had to have police protection around the clock for months because of of her just saying you swore to uphold the law. Could you please do it? Thankfully, she's okay. She became a great public speaker and all that. But yes, it is a tactic that they do to demonize the people who are just saying, hey, um, you you want to use the law to do things. Well, we don't want to use the law to do things, too. And we all agree to, theoretically, the Constitution. So let's follow it. And uh, they, they show their true colors when it affects their religious beliefs that are hold held so deeply that they are willing to put their Bible above their Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thank you, Ryan. We're going to try to get to these other calls. Um, did that, does that does that help? Uh, do, you, do you have anything else that you want to add? I don't want to just Absolutely. shoo you off, you know, but um, I want to get these other calls as no. well out of the way. Uh, but I want to make sure that you're you feel satisfied with these responses. I, I most certainly do. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's great to 
to talk to someone who's very knowledgeable about this and uh, get some advice. And like I said, it's uh, on YouTube in perpetuity, so I can go back and, and listen again. Uh, so yeah. just thank you both. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for uh, letting me talk about this topic. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Well, you know, I did a lot in that call, you know, to... Uh, yeah, you need to slow down there. Yeah, yeah, Mike. To, show, to show, you know, my expertise on the topic. No, no it's, a, it's a fascinating <laughs> topic. I could go it on is. forever. And uh, the, the ultimate answer is the wheels of justice turn. They turn slowly, but they turn. And so donate to Freedom From Religion Foundation, ACLU. They're the people that can use the legal remedies, but there's other remedies, which is protesting, talking, educating, things like that. J. Mike, I'm a philosophy nerd also, so I always appreciate uh, uh, calls that you're involved in uh, aside from this topic. So this is the important this is the important topic, though. Right. So um, let's there's like I was telling uh, Cross, like there's fun in philosophy and it's it's great stuff. But this is really where the rubber meets the road, right, where these beliefs become informing of, of actions that that people are taking. And so. Um, yeah, this is way more important on, this comes right after all the armchair stuff that you want to do It's fun and great, but you know, there's a real concept. There's, it exists outside the armchair, right? It extends beyond the armchair and, um, that's, what's actually, actually important. So we really appreciate your call, Ryan. Thank you guys. Take care. Have Thank a good you. One. That is a good, I like that he brings, it'll be, it'll be, you know, archived. And that's what I like, really love about the show is that it's this giant archive of, you know, these conversations and they'll last as long as, uh, hopefully as YouTube lasts and we can <laughs> take, yeah, we get, we have digital copies. So we'll, you know, maybe DVDs will come back in action. I don't know. We'll start that's good um, no, I've go back and watch the old stuff, uh, regularly because, um, uh, there's always something to learn. There's always some subtle point that somebody makes, uh, whether you're bringing up the historical methods for analyzing text or an old Tracy Harris clip where she's uh, talking about uh, you're better than your God. All of that is really um, influential. So I really appreciate what the ACA does. And um, I'm going to get this cat off my lap because it's a little <laughs> annoying. I jumped right on. I was like in this weird turning situation. I want to say um, real quick, we got a super chat from Guido. I know Guido. It's a friend of mine. Guido, thank you so much. $5. I only watch for J. Mike's hair. And I feel like you're ribbing me right now. You're just yeah, making, he knows how awkward I feel about it. So no, I appreciate it. And then we got a uh, Philosophy, I am not going to be able to pronounce this. A the a, a tea naturalisti. Naturalist, maybe? Naturalist, yeah, I don't know. That's beyond my fa you know what? Cross, you read it. Okay, for you two didn't. euros, I believe. It was Philosophia or Philosophie. I don't know what the accent does. Athi naturalist. Isn't it golden rule to ban the Bible in return? That sounds like a do unto others type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you did way better at that pronunciation than myself. <laughs> the AC, the ACA wants to know what is going on in our, actually, before I do that, because when we talked about Patreons, I didn't actually get to shout out our, our uh, Patreon, uh, our top pa uh, patrons, I would say Patreon. So let me do that real quick. Top patrons are going to be number one, 
Dingleberry Jackson, everybody, as always. I love Dingleberry. You got to love Dingleberry. Um, Dion Lachey. We got Oops All Singularity. Devor Valjean. You guys are really testing me on this. And then uh, Kalevi Helvetti. I think I did that right this time. Yeah, I um, think so. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, we're learning words here on Talk Ethan <laughs> and pronounce. No, we appreciate everybody. Uh, maybe you get some enjoyment out of that, just like seeing the host just fail miserably. But the ACA wants to know what is going on in, uh, wants you to know what's going on in our community. And for that, we've got an updated website. So you can head to www.atheist-community.org, where you can learn about the organization itself, its policies, and how you can get involved. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you liked, what you thought was effective, if you thought these conversations were effective, maybe you didn't think they were effective. And more importantly, we want to know what we could do better. And so you can email us at uh, tv at uh, atheist-community.org. It's tv at atheist-community.org down there at the bottom. And you can let us know. Uh, please send ones that will be productive and not just like, you know, you suck. I hate you. Uh, that's not going to help us in any way. So, or you, it, maybe you just want to say you rock. I mean, that's great stuff. But if you, if you really think that there's some valid criticism or, uh, you know, something that you would like to see, just let us know and email us. It's a, it's a great way to voice those concerns or I don't know, praise us. I'll take it all day long. So <laughs> <laughs> shower me in praise. Uh, we are going to go ahead on to, Let's see. Let's go to real quick. We have Otari in Georgia as a theist says that eyewitnesses are reliable. Uh, Otari, uh, maybe you want to elaborate on that. Uh, Well, I think uh, eyewitnesses can be reliable if uh, there's many of them. And in Bible, we see uh, that there was, I think, uh, 500 or so of uh, eyewitnesses. No, and there I wasn't. That's that good. There wasn't 500. Well, there was one person that wrote about 500. I mean, can you name me one of the 500 people? Can you give me the record? Can you show me what they said on that day? You can't, right? I think it was Bob. Bob saw it. Was it Bob? Bob. And regardless, there's something called the miracle of Fatima. Have you ever heard of it? I actually want to mention it as well. Yeah. You know, 30,000 people saw, saw something in the sky that was more than likely a parhelion, right? Or some type of like yes. something. In, yeah. So 30,000 people were eyewitnesses well, to the sun moving in the sky and they were all wrong, right? We can be very confident that they were wrong in, in terms of the detrimental effects that would have been subsequent from the sun moving. <laughs> right? So, yeah, so I don't really agree that amount of eyewitnesses is going to really do. I mean, like in some cases I might agree, but like I can give you an example of 30,000 people that were just wrong. And I'll jump in. I'll jump in and say, Atari, um, have you ever spoken to those eyewitnesses? Do you have a chance to question them and ask them where they were when they saw it or how they felt and had, had they what they'd eaten or drank or any of those sorts of things? Because when we do that in court, um, you, I agree with you that if I put up a hundred witnesses that all point to a suspect and say, I saw that person shoot the other guy. And those people are exposed to cross-examination and survive that the jury is convinced that they're telling the truth. A hundred witnesses 
is better in human experience than one witness is more reliable. I'm more willing to accept the claim that he done it. Right. But that's only after they've survived cross-examination. If you aren't subject to cross-examination, you can say anything you want. And now you're just left with a claim. So all we have is a, uh, uh, whisper down the lane of the Gospels say that some people saw a thing and interpreted it this way. I can't cross-examine the Gospel writer because we don't know who that was. I can't cross-examine the people who claimed to have seen it. I can't even tell whether or not those people actually ever even existed. So while I agree with your underlying claim that more witnesses tends to make me more comfortable accepting a claim, there's a whole bunch of caveats. The big one is have they been cross-examined? Have they been questioned? Has there been scientific examination of their evidence? Do you have any of that with the Bible? Do you have any cross-examination whatsoever? No, but um, they had no ulterior motive for their supposed lie. Well, as you can't limit. Do you, do you need one? Do you need an ulterior motive to they, be mistaken? Excuse me. They all, um, Apostles, for example, they all died, as far as I know, uh, as well as other early Christians. Why would they lie about something like that when they knew they would be persecuted? Okay, uh, so we're moving on to a different argument here. You're basically saying you're using the die for a lie argument. Why would they die for a lie? So my question, my first question to you was, do you need to be, <laughs> it, can people be mistaken is my first question. Can people make mistakes when they're looking at a thing? Can they can they make a mistake in understanding what's going on? That's just a simple question. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So if we could agree that people can be mistaken, then your argument seems to be that even if a person could be mistaken, they wouldn't die for that misunderstanding. And my argument there is Absolutely, they would. <laughs> we see it all the time. We see people getting executed in our judicial system who knew they were going to do that because they were convinced, let's say, um, for example, mothers who kill their children mm -hmm. before they are old enough in their religion to reach the age of consequence where they where if they sin, they would go to hell. It's it, in their eyes, the most loving thing they do. They kill their kids before they could be sent to hell. They die because they think that they're right. They've murdered their kids. Do you think that they're right there or do you think they're mistaken? Um, I didn't get the question. Okay, so we have mothers who kill their children so those children will go to heaven. First of all, do you think that that's that they're right? I guess that's my first question. I didn't even establish the <laughs> the premise. Do you agree with that? Is that something that they should do? No. Okay. So they're making a mistake, but they know that they are going to die mm -hmm. for killing their kids. So they are mistaken, yet they die for that. So we have examples today of people dying for a lie, so to mistake, but I disagree. It's not a lie. They truly believe that it's true. Mm -hmm. You look at people who are insane, people who are having mental illness, people who have ingested drugs, they will all believe something and might gladly die for it because they believe it so strongly. So even if we grant that you have somebody 
who believed this and died for it, although I don't think the people who were witnesses to the resurrection were the ones we were talking about. I think you're talking about the apostles. Yeah. We still have modern day examples to, alive today of people dying for a misunderstanding. So I, I think that I don't know, Jay, Mike, if you have anything to to jump onto that, but that no, sort of the, destroys that sort of. No, I mean, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, you can think of homeopathic remedies. People yes. really believe that and they, they were willing to risk that. Right. The point is that because because <laughs> oh, sorry, X something. believes hold on, just because that X believes Y. Right. Just because some person believes some proposition and they really think it's true and they're willing to die for that adds no epistemic justification. It adds nothing, right? The fact that you are willing to die for a proposition says fuck all about whether or not the proposition is true or false. Like my, my emo, it's like an appeal to emotion, right? The fact that I like have an emotional view, like that I have some uh, attachment to the proposition and I'm willing to die all that tells you is that I have a psychological state such that I really believe it to be true. And I'm willing to, to go anywhere and everywhere for this belief. There's still an open question of whether or not that's true. But secondly, I, I find this interesting because like, for example, do you, you think like Peter was killed? Do you think that Peter was hung upside down? Do you think that's how he, he was, he was crucified? I just know if that's so true, Christians are claiming, but if that's the case, then yes. Yeah, but the lot. All this is what's. It's. I, I did this yesterday on on a TikTok live with somebody. It, I don't think Christians like realize they're using non-canonical text <laughs> for these for these these accounts, right? They're not. You're not gonna. You don't find them in the text. They're non-canonical, and so it's weird that you that that this is something that Christians don't even seemingly go check. So, so like, set that to the side because it's not even important, well, right? It's, not, it's really not important. Do you understand crosses? Well, let me give you a chance to speak. Do you, do you understand? Do you understand Cross and I's position that just because uh, Bob believes in X that it's raining or whatever, and he's really willing to die for it, that that doesn't add any weight to whether or not the claim is true? We still have the exact same uh, amount of investigation that we still have to do. Do you agree? Sure, if it's one person, and besides, you have no um, evidence that there are crazy or something crazy i'm willing to die that god doesn't exist i'm willing to die for that belief does that mean that god doesn't exist no yeah so why so replace the content with jesus or god the the form of the argument is the exact same what i mean is like the same structure is there all we're doing is taking out some content right and replacing it so if i say j mike is willing to die for atheism or for naturalism that does nothing to, that says nothing on whether or not we've raised the probability that naturalism is true we've just raised the probability that there's someone who's likely to die for a belief that's it like i don't see anything special about primates dying for the beliefs that they have like, i don't see why that indicates metaphysical truth I mean, you, you look at the Jonestown Kool-Aid suicides. 900 people died for that religion, for that cult. 900 people died back in the 70s in Jonestown down in South uh, America because they followed a religious leader that believed was telling the truth. And they fed 
uh, I don't know if it was cyanide or what it was, but Kool-Aid laced with a, a poison to their children and then themselves. And 900 people killed themselves believing this. Look at Heaven's Gate cult where, uh, I don't know, 30, a dozen, 24 people killed themselves when the Hale-Bopp comet came across the skies because they thought it was a sign that uh, they were going to be transported up onto the comet and go away with the aliens or some supernatural force. People die all the time because they are wrong. That doesn't make them right. And if we're going on numbers, if we're going on number of eyewitnesses, 900 people died in Jonestown compared to your 500 or whatever. So I don't think numbers matter either. People die all the time because they are mistaken for a variety of reasons. Use drugs and uh, they isolate their victims so that they don't get help, right? I'm sorry? Of course, uh, they isolate their victims uh, so they don't get help uh, and they drug uh, them, right? The cults, uh, there's a, a whole discussion we have on cults on how they can uh, form sort of emotional mind control over people. But the the answer was there was 900 of them that were followers. It was They could have easily overpowered any sort of force that was being used against them, and they did not. They willingly, at that point, took the poison because they were wrong. How they came to be wrong, you can talk about, but they were wrong. Some of them may have had mental health issues and some of them may have been quote-unquote brainwashed. Some of them may, may have been coerced. But the 900 people killed themselves on one day because they believed their religious leader. It's not comparable comparison because it's not just the numbers anymore. You are adding uh, manipulation into the mix. You started out saying that eyewitness testimony can be reliable or depended upon because of numbers. You just started the call saying there were 500 people, and you can dispute that number, that witnessed the resurrection. Therefore, numbers matter. But when I bring up numbers in this context, you say they don't matter. Because it's a false comparison. Uh, Those quotes are, as I said, uh, and as far as I know, uh, they are manipulated. And uh, you have no uh, evidence that they are manipulated as well, unless you do. And then it would be a uh, sensible comparison. I don't think I'm following you there. But J-Mark, are you picking up on that? Uh, well, um, I don't... I might be. I mean, my. I just don't. I don't get why you like. If you have the five hundred, you don't have the record for me. I mean, I might as well have just Doctor Evil like one million <laughs> witnesses, right? Like, I mean, you might as well beef up the number. And it's weird to me because, like, imagine that like you had a bunch of eyewitnesses. I mean, across. I'm thinking this in in my head right now. So maybe since this is part of your domain, I might I might be making a mistake here. But I'm thinking in my head like, imagine I had some eyewitnesses for some belief, and then there's other people that were eyewitnesses but they think the opposite right they think that the opposite thing occurred and if you want to go by the numbers it's strange because say that me and uh cross um we're on the side where we're like that this thing didn't occur right so we're fighting against the other eyewitnesses and if it comes down to numbers for reliability then all me and uh bob, uh, bob all me and cross <laughs> have to go do is go start um killing every person with the with the the eyewitness view and until the point where our numbers are higher than theirs and then now all of a sudden it it's more likely that we're true because of the numbers of uh of eyewitnesses that we have for our claim right but that seems weird do you really think that if i went around 
Uh, I keep wanting to say unalive because of TikTok and how they ban people if you say kill. <laughs> but if we went around killing people, all the people that believed X and we believe not X, does that all of a sudden make it more likely to be true once our numbers go above their numbers, right? Like that doesn't, to me, that seems like just an ad populum fallacy, right? Like why would it matter about the number of people? That It's like, I, I can grant that it will give me, in some cases, like say you got a dog, right? And you have a bunch of eyewitnesses. Yeah, yeah, Cross got a dog. I don't, if a thousand people came up to me and said, Cross got a flying puppy that's, uh, breathes out fire and, you know, poops out Hershey kisses or something like that. If that was the, the claim, I don't care if a thousand people told me that I'm going to, I'm going to, my skepticism is still going to be there. It's not like the thousandth and one person is going to make me believe that that cross really got this dog. I'm going to think it's more likely that a thousand people got together and they're trying to fuck with me. All right. <laughs> and so, I mean, I just, I think that this is context sensitive in terms of the claim. Your claim is being uh, talking about like metaphysical truths or that, Jesus is God and that, you know, people are willing to die for this metaphysical truth. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just a different claim than something like I got a dog, right? I'm going to need investigative work. I'm not going to need like, Oh, a bunch of people believe it. Yeah. A bunch of people believe that the sun moved from the sky and they were wrong. People are dumb. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I mean, do, do you, do or is Atari before we go, is what we're saying like completely crazy? Just like we're totally like we're just out of our mind on, on our objection here, or or do you think that our objection makes sense to you? Have we lost Otari? I hope not. I'd like I an would, answer. I hope not either. I think he was. Well, I think we did lose Otari. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that's something I could have picked up on. I thought I heard a click on there, but I just wasn't going to assume it. Uh, we do got time, um, for, uh, an, another call. Um, I do, um, yeah, I do want to, uh, mention though for other, for people before we do this call that if you happen to be in the Austin area, September 24th, 2023 for the back cruise weekend, which I went last weekend, it was so much fun. I got to meet so many cool people. Never in my life have I had people come up to me and be like, hey, I know you. So it was a really <laughs> weird experience, really cool and awesome for me. It's like a unique experience I'll take I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Kids, I was real popular in, uh, in my day. Uh, I was a YouTube guy. So <laughs> let me tell you um, about the Bat Cruise Day. Yeah, I um well, it was a fun, it was a fun event. But anyway, uh September 24th, 2023, then come uh, Talking then will be hosted by Objectively Dan or Subjectively Don, as I know him, and Sophia Spina. Spina, I always say that name wrong. I apologize to Sophia. Um, you can slap me, I promise. I won't get mad. Anyway, uh, the Atheist Experience will be hosted by uh, Objectively Dan or Subjectively Don and Jamie the Blind Limey, who you could have saw with me on Talk Heathen last week. Uh, doors open at noon, and we hope to see you there. And so we are going to get um i told i told dave i'd get him on and so let me let's get try to get dave on maybe it's a quick question we can get to i don't think we can but stay you know if you're on we'll see what we can do um we got dave in maryland wants to talk about the physics of purgatory that's a not a question i ever thought would be asked to me uh oh wait really i don't think a lot about purgatory so maybe it's just a me thing that's okay i don't think a lot about physics yeah <laughs> 
I do actually. Um, I I, I don't pretend that I do. I know physics. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know any of that either. So Um, uh, I just want to thank you real quick for what you guys do. Uh, Back um, like 10 years ago, uh, Matt Dillahunty kind of indirectly saved my life. And and what you guys do for me now today is is sort of clear up a lot of confusion about, you know, metaphysics, reality, whatever. So just thank you for that. Uh, thank you. So, sure. So I'm an atheist. Um, I'm in a couple of, you know, atheism versus theism groups. Uh, and I was having a discussion yesterday with somebody who's a theist and a lawyer, and he posted like, a very simplistic meme about purgatory. Oh, this is this is purgatory, and you can stop here in purgatory before you get to heaven. You know, your soul gets clean, whatever. And he mentioned something about, yeah, you can also spend a long time there. And my first question I came up with was, well, that's weird that there's time in purgatory, or, or you know, that just made me curious. And I was like, well, you know, how does time work in purgatory? And you said it's indeterminate. I was like, that's interesting, you know, and there, there also seems like a sequence of events, you know, you're alive and then you go to purgatory and then you go to heaven. So that got me thinking more about the physics of purgatory. Like, is there information in purgatory? Is there heat? Is there light? You know, just very basic physics questions. And of course he's like, I don't know. And Did you say if it was that. if it, it it was within space time? It's outside of space. Like I, I'm not understanding that view. Like what, what? It's like in our universe somewhere. There's like a location for it. Yeah, I I don't I don't quite I don't remember what his answer was, but I don't think it was very enlightening. <laughs> um, so I guess I'd kind of shortcut the whole thing and ask. Jay, Mike, I know you're very familiar with philosophy and metaphysics and whatever, but so I'm just wondering, are there any like, you know, prominent theists who are also well-versed in physics, or are there any physicists who are also theists that have come up with like, you know, a kind of uh, logical like semantics or some kind of formulas or some kind some way of like, um, describing, you know, purgatory or hell or heaven or wherever uh, in any sort of, like, formal way with any... Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know of, like... It's like the, the first thing that came to my mind was someone Luke, uh, named Luke Barnes, who's a... I think he's a cosmologist or a physicist. He's a Christian. Uh, he runs, a, like, a, a Bayesian type of argument for fine-tuning, um, which... I don't think works for what's called stocking horse objection reasons by that Alex Malpass presents to. But anyway, uh, he doesn't talk about purgatory or things like that. From my understanding, I haven't really read a lot on, on him. I don't, I think that that's like, you're going to get a lot of that in the theology, but in the strict, like, you know, the Rasmussen's, the Pruces, the Swinburne's, right. All the Christian kind of prominent philosophers. Uh, I don't see anything in their work about that. Um, and the stuff that I have read, on it, at least in talking about like heaven, for example, is to me, every time when I've read stuff like that, it's just so clearly a just so story. It's like fan fiction to me, right? It's like talking about, you know, 
some show, uh, you know, like Star Trek or something, and then just making up fan fiction about like, you know, one of the spinoff shows or something, or like a new spinoff show that you could do. I, I have never seen anything compelling because I want to see like a deductive argument or something, even though I'm skeptical of those in metaphysics, but I want to see the chain of reasoning. And really it's just the audience seems to like the people that are going to be talking about that, they're selling it to somebody who already buys the product, right? So they don't have to do a lot of work. Whereas someone like me and you don't buy that product. Um, it just sounds just to me, at least it sounds like a bunch of fan fiction. So I would just say, no, there isn't any, from my understanding, there isn't any good philosophy there. Um, and really I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be um, forthcoming. Okay. I don't, I, I mean, there must be theists out there who, who have thought about this before and find it to be like a glaring massive gap. In, yeah. I think, in I think the, uh, the pattern that I have, seen, <laughs> the pattern I've seen is anybody that starts asking the questions you are, uh, quickly becomes an ex theist. That's why you don't see them very much. I'm guessing, uh, because, the mere asking of that question uh, indicates a interest in truth that I don't think is common. And I'm not saying interest in truth is not common amongst people who are religious, but in that particular area, they tend to compartmental their, compartmentalize their lives and reserve that religious area for lack of questioning. The, when you started talking, the only scientist I could think of was Francis Collins, who was uh, a biologist who led the human genome project and mapped out the human genome. He was, uh, uh, is and ran NIH. He was a, a Christian evangelical. And he, even he said the genetic record alone proves beyond a reasonable doubt that evolution is true. So he's able to compartmentalize his life so that he still believes in Christianity, but anywhere where he's looked into it with a scientific view, it, where the science uh, goes against what is written in the scripture or is commonly held beliefs, he goes with the science. So it's a God of the gaps. It's a shrinking. It's a, it's a, well, you need faith for this stuff. And when you start getting into purgatory and heaven, there's no, there's no, there's no specifics anywhere. Uh, anything that is specific about afterlife is very vague in the Bible, or you've got revelations, which, as I said at the beginning, is sort of an acid trip. So I don't think any scientist is going to be able to give any sort of model unless it was done jokingly. If a bunch of physicists, uh, PhD students might together one get together one weekend and have some beers and say, if it were going to work, let's do some models and then do a bunch of complicated models that achieve nothing. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Sure. Thank you for calling. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Um, yeah. Well, um, let's try to get another one in real quick. We got uh, this one would probably be really easy because I maybe he misunderstood what we said in the last call. I'm not sure. We're going to go to Jeff. Uh, pronouns are he, him. I think it says agnostic and wants to know why would Jesus be illiterate, which I didn't make that claim. So I made the claim that Peter, sorry. Hello. I'm sorry. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Hello. Yeah. You want to talk about why would Jesus be illiterate? I love your show. Thank you. Are you on speakerphone? No, I'm on a, a headset. Oh, Okay, I just heard some echoing. So, I hope, 
Hopefully we don't, if, if we have echo, I'll, I'll have to drop you. And that's not out of any disrespect to you. It's just that we're running a show and we want to make it nice, clean and concise. But you said you, you wanted to talk about why would Jesus be illiterate? Uh, are you pertaining to something that me or Cross said? Well, no, I'm agnostic. And the thing is like, my question is the fact is like, if God sent his only son down and like, you know, he's also God, why didn't he write his own stuff? Like literally it took 40 years to get like, even like, mm the first book even done. And this is one thing that a lot of atheists, I don't feel like are really exploring is the fact that, you know, it's like, if you're going to come and like save mankind and do all this kind of stuff, why can't you write your own stuff down? Why did someone else? I have a view on this. And I think there's a good reason why Jesus, assuming he existed, or the disciples didn't, even if they could read or write. Um, Jesus thought that the end was coming, right? Mark 1.15 is the first thing that we get Jesus saying. It's like the time, I'm paraphrasing this, so Christians don't get out the pitchforks on me. I'm oh, it's all good, baby, don't worry. Going off, yeah, I'm going off the top of my head, but it's I'm like- just happy to be king, <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, no worries. The kingdom of God uh, is near. The time has come. Repent now for the good news, right? That's the first thing that we see Jesus say in Mark 1.15. Uh, the whole point there is that, look, the time has, has come to an end. The, there was this time that was allotted to us. It's now up. And the good news is coming. There's going to be a giant, um, there's going to be a kingdom of God established on earth that's going to take out the powers of evil and put in the powers of the good, right? And don't think that you've like sided with the evil and gotten away with it. Everybody's going to be casted up into judgment and decide whether or not they're, uh, they're going to be placed in God's kingdom. So you get Mark 9, 1. Truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God come in power. Jesus, Mark's Jesus is very apocalyptic, right? It's very, um, in what's called the intertestamental period, the period between the the old, the last books of the Old Testament and the Pauline epistles, or the first books of the New Testament, there was this river running through the stream of Judaism, which was apocalypticism. Uh, you get this literature such that uh, the Jews at the time, you know, were oppressed by what the Babylonians, the Ptolemies, the Cyclitic kings, the Romans, the Greeks. And so you have this kind of longing for being God's chosen people, right? Why are we just getting our ass handed to us? And so what you get is this apocalyptic writing, like hold on just longer, right? Turn from foreign ways and hold on just a little longer. The good news is coming because the kingdom of God will be established and all the powers of evil will be taken out. Israel will be restored to God's chosen people. So now you get Jesus coming along in first century Palestine, who's proclaiming a very similar message of apocalyptic, uh, of an apocalyptic message that we, we see from Josephus, Thutis, the Egyptian, John, the, uh, the Baptist in the Bible himself is an apocalyptic preacher. And Jesus has a message that's lined with John the Baptist. It's a, uh, he could have had it with the fourth philosophy. He could have had it with the scenes, the, the, um, the Pharisees, but he has a very central message with John, an apocalyptic message. And there is no re reason to write down, assuming that this is true, there's no reason to write any of this down. Truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before the kingdom of God comes. He's not talking to people 2000 years later. He's not talking to the scholar, Christian scholar, who's, you know, a, a believer in Christ. He's not talking to them 2000 years later. He's not talking to the the Christian in the chat room who's saying, repent now because God's coming. That's what Jesus was proclaiming in his lifetime. Paul himself in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18, says that he himself thinks that we will be taken up. 1 Corinthians 15, he thinks it's going to happen in his life. 
So the beginning of Jesus's ministry right, is apocalyptic. Wait, 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 hold on. We're, 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 we're jumping into a weird realm. The question is very simple. It's like, I'm, no, no, no. I'm getting, I'm getting to your question. Right? This, down. Is, this is, this is, hold on, hold on. The point is, there's a, there's a reason why I'm expressing this. The point is, is that they did the, if that's true, right? If the best view is this apocalyptic Jesus where Paul himself thought this was going to happen. And that changes later on where Christians start changing that to a spiritual notion. The reason why Jesus didn't write it down, if he could write or the disciples didn't, is because there's not going to be a long haul. There is no future that's going to happen. The kingdom of God is going to be established. You have no reason to write it down, right? But Jesus was wrong. He failed, right? The, the kingdom of God was not established. And so now you can get this kind of, well, why wasn't it written down? Well, because Jesus thought this was going to happen in his lifetime and he was wrong about it. So there's no need to write it down for people a thousand years later. So there, there was a point to why I was saying that. <laughs> so, you know. Well, the thing is, what, what I'm saying is the fact is like, I, I do think there was a Jesus. I think he was a philosopher. I don't think he was the son of God, but he offered, you know, a new kind of thought process. But the thing is, is like, you know, with a lot of Christians, they're like, oh, you know, the message was so good. It's like, why didn't we just get the message? Why couldn't he just write it down? I know, I know what you're saying. I understand what you're, you're going for. There, there's but, no reason to write it down. Everybody's going to know. He's telling people to sell their possessions. It's happening soon, right? Why would you write it down? No, no, no. But what I'm saying is the fact is like, if this is, if this is the son of God, if this is God, and you're coming down to forgive their sins and do all this kind of stuff, right? It's like, why would you not give a direct message? Why would, you know, because the Bible, you know. That's what the, his ministry was. That's what he was doing. Yeah, <laughs> there's, to answer your question, Jeff, from a different perspective, because I, I would have said exactly what J. Mike's saying. Like, I've learned a lot listening to J. Mike over the last few years, and that's a new sort of area that I've been educated on. But from another perspective, we can say, well, there's multiple possible reasons why he didn't write it down or, or imprint it on our hearts or carve it on the moon or something, right? Uh, one of those reasons is God thought that what's happening now is the best possible way to get his message across. And to simplify it, let's say there's one other option, which is it's not real. B between the two, it seems like because it's not real seems to make sense. Um, that's how I would analyze it is, is there's a bunch of explanations. That's the definitely that's another fit. view for sure. Because it never really happened. You guys are amazing. I love you guys. But what I'm saying is the fact is like, you know, with like different like philosophers, you know, Socrates, Plato, uh, even like, you know, the Buddhist philosophy is the fact is that it was something that was prescribed, but it's not something that's meant to dictate how we live. And so my, my only thing is that with like a lot of Christians out there is they're like, oh, you know, the Bible, like it, it's the truth. It's like, well, then maybe God should have actually just wrote it and not had man write it. You see what I'm saying? I, well, I, I don't disagree with you. The only the, the reason I'm taking the position that I'm taking on this is from my I like reading a lot of scholarship. So I have a position that I think it's I mean, not by like a whole bunch, but I think it's more likely that Jesus existed as an apocalyptic preacher. I mean, look at Cross's example, right? That could just be made up out of whole whole cloth. Um, I have problems with that because I think if you're going to make things up out of whole cloth, you're not going to put Jesus in the wrong place of birth and then sit there trying to figure it out as you go along. You're just not going to have that problem in the first place. Um, there's a lot of other reasons why I don't think it's as likely, but it's not by much. But that's one possibility. What he's saying is totally possible, right? Just whole cloth made up. 
And that would be explained why. All I'm saying is that, look, if what I'm saying is true, which this has been the dominant view in scholarship since 1906 when Albert Schweitzer wrote the quest for the historical Jesus. Uh, and then, you know, Bart Ehrman, Paula Fredrickson and, and all and other scholars have taken this. This is the dominant view in, in Christian scholar scholarship. So all I'm saying, all, I'm not doing anything fringe. I'm just saying in, in the academy and in, in, in academia, the answer that you're going to get is on uh, from the more scholarship basis is that, look, Jesus thought the end was coming in terms of the end that all of these powers of evil will be thrown out. God's kingdom would be established. The disciples would rule over 12, you know, the 12 tribes, right? The whole point is that you wouldn't need to write it down. Everybody's everybody in the generation is going to know it's going to happen. There's not one person in this generation who's not going to know that the kingdom of God is going to be established. Paul says that himself. First Thessalonians four, right? All of this combined makes a really good story that even if you granted that the disciples could write, read and write, even if you granted that Jesus could, it's it'd be more likely that they wouldn't because everybody soon is going to know. And Jesus's uh, parables and his ethics. If you read, I urge everybody to do this. Go read Jesus's parables after after this show, and mm -hmm. go read his like his ethics and uh, put I, it in the apocalypse. And put it in the. I understand. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Put it in the apocalyptic context that I'm saying where he's expressing urgency, right? That this is going to happen soon. And I promise you will see this in a different light. You will not see them as these standalone parables, standalone ethics. It is a sense of urgency. This is happening now. You would have no reason to write it down, even if he could. Everybody's going to know it's going to happen. The people who don't follow are going to be cast into judgment, right? I think that's a really good reason why they yeah, wouldn't have I'm with down. you. Yeah, if you get a chance, I, I, talk go ahead. Sorry, like, go, go ahead, Jeff. Because like I think like we have like a lot of like interesting things. But the the thing is the fact is like what I'm trying to say though is that with the uh, with the Christian kind of ideal stuff like that is like you know I'm just saying like if someone is coming with like this message to change the world, why not do it like in your own way? And I understand everything you said. You, you've been amazing. Yeah, sure. I, I love the way you explained it. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, if you're going to save humanity, even, like, let's say it's not apocalyptic, um, wouldn't you just give the message yourself? And with the what? entire Bible, you know, it wasn't really established until, like, what was it, 300 or 480, when, like, the one of the churches decided to, like, make it, like, a standardized. It's just, like, how do you even know what's real? In a book. Well, that, that that's yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I 100 yeah. percent agree with you there. I, I I just I I want to tack on though that what's important is that I don't think Jesus predicted his death. Jesus did like all the verses that where he's like uh, the the Messiah must go to be crucified or to Jerusalem to be tortured and crucified and raised on the third day. That to me doesn't pass what's called the criterion of dissimilarity, which is a criterion that New Testament scholars use to see what. What's more likely came from Jesus or an oral tradition versus like uh, later Christians putting it on the lips of Jesus. Right. And I, I'm in firm belief that Jesus never predicted his death. This is an amalgamation that that spins after this failed apocalyptic message where he was tortured, he was crucified and people began to believe this thing about him. Right. And that story spins. There's, and I think Caesar Augustus was deified after his life. Right. He still existed, but people making up these stories and amalgamations very easy to do. You can have a historical figure such that he's deified later. And I, I just think Jesus never proclaimed such a message that he was going to be crucified. So I think that there's stuff here that I, 
on the surface level, I completely understand what you're saying. When I looked into it more, I started going, wow, Christians have much bigger problems than I thought, right? Jesus was a failed apocalypticist. He didn't write it down for those reasons, and he was just wrong. And now Christians are rolling the ball down the hill for 2,000 years, coming into live chats and being like, repent now, it's happening soon, <laughs> right? Well, Jesus was the first one to say that, and he was wrong, right? And an omniscient being can't be wrong, so, you know, Christian God doesn't exist. No, right? no, so, you're, you're, you're super true, like, on, like, the uh, apocalyptic aspect. I mean, like, look at how many religious aspects of Christianity that have, like, predicted death and, like, oh, we're going to die, like, you know, in, like, the next eight years or whatever, and they've all failed. I mean, you're talking the entire span of, like, human history. So, yeah. No, but my, my, my question is just more of the fact of, like, you know, it's like, hey, if, if God's going to come down and do things, maybe he should just do things instead of making it, like, complicated. So... I, I, I agree, and I uh, agree with J. Mike, and to clarify, I'm not a Jesus mythicist. When I was saying my either-or simple example was either God chose to deliver his message this way, or it didn't happen, i.e., God doesn't exist. I agree with what you're saying. You're saying, hey, this is the most important message, theoretically, that anybody could receive. It's going to be the difference in some beliefs between eternal uh, joy and eternal torture. It seems incumbent upon such a deity to deliver that message in a way that won't be subject to languages dying out, misinterpretation, all of these things. So why not write it on our hearts or do it in a way that would be personally identifiable and uh, unerring? And uh, uh, that's where I'm coming from. My answer is, yeah, that's what I would do. I think that's what most moral people would do. The fact that it didn't happen that way seems to me to indicate that there is no God delivering a message. I, too, believe that Jesus really existed. I do. Uh, I am persuaded that he is a uh, was an apocalyptic preacher, unless you go with the crazy theory that Christians come up with, that there is a 2000 year old Jew wandering the desert somewhere who heard Jesus's message. And that way, Jesus can still be accurate when he says that some of you will not die before the kingdom comes. Oh, well, the only way that could be true is if there's a 2000 year old Jew wandering the desert now. Um, that's the extent that people will go to to rationalize what you are talking about. Um, and because they are willing to go to that extent, I don't know that the message of couldn't God have written this message in a better way is going to do much in convincing them. I think it does convince some people on the edges, but I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to persuade a lot of people until you combine it with all the other stuff we talk about, including uh, this whole apocalyptic things, which is I totally agree with you. That is the message. Yeah, you, know, you guys are amazing. I, mean, I, I think Jesus is more like a he's more of a he's more of a philosopher in ways if he was around. But the fact is, like I just think like, you know, it's important for people to realize that it's the message of helping people out, that's what it's all supposed to be about. And I think like a lot of people miss it. And I think it's become so uh so detrimental to a lot of people is that you have a lot of these, you know, Christians out there who they want to spend more time attacking people, which last time I checked, you're not supposed to judge, but they're literally destroying like our communities. Like they want this horrible aspect of things, but you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for letting me talk. I've been really happy to be on your show. I am so happy to be here. So yeah, Jeff, we, we appreciate it. And um, yeah. no, and I appreciate you saying, like, I get your point, you know, but, but I have this consideration. I don't think that you're, I mean, just dismissing what I'm saying. I'm just, what I'm trying to give is like 
look, here's an account that kind of goes with some of the evidence that we have. And I think that's the most likely case. I mean, it could obviously, you know, be overturned and I'm happy with that. I'm not invested into the Jesus story like Christians are, uh, but I do want an informed position. And this is the one that I've come to. I will say, uh, I'm going to drop the call. Uh, thank, thank you, Jeff. I will say like, if, if you have a, if, you know, the consideration is like, look, God has, um, it's it either God desires that everybody understand his message or he doesn't. If he does desire that and he has the ability to make it such that there is no ambiguity, then yeah, you could run an argument such that like um, if God desires that everybody understand the message, it's not the case that everybody understands the message. So God's the author of confusion, right? You could, you could do that. But like Cross is saying, that's might not compel a lot of the Christians on their side, on that side, because some of them might feed into that being like, yeah, this is what makes it kind of a, a special thing. Not everybody's going to get it. You have to like really look for it, right? It's like it's like an Easter egg or something like that. God's <laughs> not just going to hand it to you on a silver platter. So they might feed into that. I think you're going to get more progress um, with the apocalyptic Jesus stuff, um, mainly just because you can actually cite them to scholars who are Christians that agree with this. I don't know how they reconcile. There's like a scholar that does agree with this and I don't know how he reconciles it. It's like just almost like living a contradiction. But anyway, we are reaching the end of our show and I think I've gone over more than I should. Uh, so hopefully that's beneficial for the audience. Apologies to everybody else. I want to actually real quick, give a shout out to the crew, put the cam on the crew for making this possible. They're staying on their Sunday to make all of this work. There's the new Pupparoo. Yeah, yeah. So we thank them and love them very much. Uh, I got to actually go down to Austin this weekend, so I got to meet everybody and see the, the production team, how it's all run, and it's more impressive than you think it is. So uh, everybody in the chat, please give some love to them. They make the show. All being cross really have to do is show up and speak, and so there's a lot more work done on their end than our end. Uh, so please go out of your way to, to thank them. Uh, and then I'm going to read a couple of super chats just real quick before we did these last uh, um, announcements. We have Jimmy Jr. for $4.99. Shout out to the Phenomenal Crew, which just shouted them out. Thank you, Jimmy. I got to meet Jimmy as well. Jimmy is an awesome, awesome person. I wish I, wish I had to spend more time with you, Jimmy. Uh, Fern Love Bond for $2. What Guido said, but cheaper. Okay, I like that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> As a reminder, <laughs> Guido gave five bucks and said he was only here for your hair. And this yeah. person is giving two bucks and saying the same thing. <laughs> I'm worth, my hair's worth $7. What yeah. I'm That's more than I thought. Um, Jimmy Jr. Uh, again for four ninety nine. Shout out to the phenomenal crew. Uh, oh, that we, oh we that's the same that. one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are the, those were just repeated. I apologize. Um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be it for that. And, if you really enjoy the ACA and you're like, wow, I love the content that the ACA creates, but I really wish that there was a way I could get it all the time. Well, we have you covered because now you can have two 24 live streams, not one, not two, actually, no, two. Sorry. Why did I say that? <laughs> we have two, not one, not three, but two <laughs> 24 and seven live streams. AXP TV delivers a constant stream of shows, clips, and specials from over from the over 26 seasons of the atheist experience. And now heathen, now, Talk Heathen TV provides you with clips from Talk Heathen. Watch or simply listen to your favorite hosts. Discover some of your hosts that you've never heard of. Just visit tiny.cc slash AXPTV and tiny.cc slash HeathenTV to join in on the fun. This prompt for this week was, what was Jesus really doing from age 12 to 30? I gave a response, killing children who are muttering the waters and you know messing up doves <laughs> and things like that. Um, 
but you know, non-canonical text. It's weird. Peter hung upside down, all that stuff. But Jesus, right. the you know, Jesus in that con, you know, no, that can't be true. But Peter <laughs> hanging upside down, yeah, that's real. Uh, I love that. It's one of my favorite things. So again, the question is, what uh, what was Jesus really doing from ages 12 to 30? Reply in the comments and tune in at the beginning of next week's episode to hear the top three answers. And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pass it over to um, to Cross here to, to just remind us where we can find him. But first, if you want to support us, like the video. You could be a join below or be a join. You could be a member by joining, uh, clicking the join button below. You can help support us on Patreon, tiny.cc slash Patreon TH. You can see us on tiny.cc with the AEN podcasts if you want just the audio format. And you can also become a part of the Talk Heathen community at the fan run Facebook group at tiny.cc slash FBTHG. And you can continue this in the Discord server where we are heading after this the ACD server, uh, fan run server at tiny.cc slash ACD discord <gasps> cross. Tell us, tell everybody where we can find you. Uh, you can find me at the www.thecrossexaminer.net. I, I run a podcast. I tend to do deep dives, so it's not like a daily thing. Um, and during the summer when I'm dealing with kids, I don't put out a bunch of episodes. But uh, start at the beginning. Um, it's something you could play for your parents as a, an example as to how we can all come to misbelieve something. I do a deep dive analysis on the McDonald's hot coffee case and how we were all 100% wrong about that case. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knew about that case it's like weird that everybody knows about it as i say in that episode if you grew up in the united states you know about that case and <laughs> yeah. you you have a 90 something percent chance of being a hundred percent wrong about that and i use that as an example of a non-religious discussion you can have with people about you can be absolutely wrong and talking about the caller who talked about numbers earlier the number of witnesses the entire country was convinced that we needed tort reform and change and new laws because uh the conservative politicians with business interests lied about this case knowingly and others. So um, I don't just do religion, but that is my main focus. But I start out with something where I, what, what I call common ground, we can find common ground. We can all believe, agree that people in power will um, twist and distort things to get you to believe things that aren't true. So please go check out the cross examiner. I think a lot of people are going to fl flock over there. Um, I'm hoping so. I mean, I think that's, that's really good. I know I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching that myself. Thanks. I want to give cats trying to jump on my, we're almost done. Katie. We're getting out of here. <laughs> so I shout out to the crew again. I'm going to give the love ring. So just whoop. there we go. Shout out to the crew again. Uh, everybody that was there made me feel so welcome. I'm very glad to call everybody at the ACA, my friends, now that I've really got to meet them in person. They're great, great people. Um, it's given me a pep in my step on today's show. I'm, I'm even more excited than I was to do the show. So shout out to them. I uh, love, love, love being here. So thank you for the audience and making this all possible. We really, 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 really love you and appreciate you. But whether or not you believe you are essential and you are a central worker, we want to thank you. And if you don't believe, this is your community. You can come here. You can be yourself. You can talk about your beliefs. You can call us. You can find out where to debate. Come as you are. And if you do believe, we don't hate you. Just not convinced.
We want the truth. So watch Truth Wanted live Friday at 7 p.m. Central. Visit tiny.cc slash YTTW and call into the show at 512-991-9242 or connect to the show online at tiny.cc slash call TW.